Darker Days of Dorothy Gale Aftermath For Episodes 46, 47, and 48 Chapters 40, 41, and 42 Cana Antonora Part 1 and Antonora Part 2 and Canto 32 of Dante's Inferno Treachery Against Kin and Treachery Against Country This week we're talking Canto 32 of Dante's Inferno. We find Dante and Virgil in the ninth circle of hell, the final circle, treachery. Gone is the fire and brimstone we all imagine when thinking of hell, especially the medieval and archaic Catholic hell. Here, our poets are traversing a frozen landscape. As we all know by now, Dante loves to compartmentalize, and here is no different. Ring 9 is split into four parts. And here we enter into the first two, Cana and Antinor. Also, this entire ring spans a mere three cantos, 32, 33, and 34. That means we're almost done with the Inferno. It's been a long road, I know, and I'm actually kind of sad to be at the end of the poem, but them's the breaks. Canto 33 will cover chapters 43 and 44, and chapters 45 and 46 will see the end of the Inferno. Don't worry, though. There's plenty of Dantean influence left in this book. Cana is named after Cain and Abel. You know that story, right? Of course you do. But I'll tell it to you anyway. Back in the Old Testament, God was kind of a spiteful and vengeful being. He kind of liked to play favorites and constantly test the ants in his little ant farm. Cain and Abel were the firstborn of Adam and Eve, because, you know, that whole apple thing in the Garden of Eden. Anyway, Cain and Abel were good, God-fearing folks. Abel was a farmer, and Cain was what I like to call a shepherd. I like to call him a shepherd because that's what he was. He was a shepherd. Anyways, one day God was all like, Hey there, Abel. Love what you're doing. Keep up the good work. And then he looked over at Cain and was all like, Oh, uh, hey, Cain. Uh, nice sheep and stuff, I guess. Cain got, like, totes jealous because of this, and lured Abel into a field, where he then smashed his brother's head in with a stone. God was understandably upset by this, not only because Abel was his favorite, but also because now he had to come up with another word. Ah, oh, jeez. Murder. You see, murder didn't exist yet. Cain was the first one to do it, and Abel was the first victim. 
But instead of murdering Cain in retaliation, he slapped him with, you know, the mark of Cain, and told him to get lost, forcing him to wander the earth, bearing that, uh, you know, that mark of Cain that I just mentioned. Anyway, back to the Inferno. Cana is named this because it is treachery against kin. Antonora is named for an advisor to Troy in the Trojan War. Uh, not, not some dude named Troy, by the way. I, I, I think it's pretty clear. The city of Troy. He was an advisor in the city of Troy. I, it's not like he was, you know, hanging around the trailer park talking to Troy, you know, the, that guy with the wife-beater shirt and the wiry hair, and he kind of... He's missing his front teeth for, we can only imagine what reasons, you know, smoking his cigarettes and, you know, petting his, his pit bull with a spiked collar and chained to the tree stump that, anyways, anyways, uh, where was I? Right, right, Trojan War. If you're like me and you have no real knowledge of history and whatnot, and your retention for knowledge is pretty lame to begin with, I'll give you the quick rundown of the Trojan War. We all know the story of the wooden horse. That's the most entertaining and clever part. And so, for me, that's really all I ever took from it. Don't trust people with large wooden horses. The actual story is that once upon a time, there was a big war between the Greeks and the Trojans. It all started because Paris, the prince of Troy, fell in love with Helen, who was already married to King Menelaus. Anyways, Paris, being the great man that he was, thought it would be pretty rockin' to take Helen back home with him, and the Greeks, they got kind of angry about this. So they sailed to Troy with their army to get their queen back, and this whole thing, it lasted for a while, but ultimately the Greeks won by tricking the Trojans by hiding inside a big wooden horse and popping out when it was taken into the city of Troy. Okay, now to explain why Antenor is so important to this story and Dante. Antenor was a counselor to King Priam of Troy. This, of course, would be the time of the Trojan War. Lots of accounts of this dude, and they each kind of vary a little bit. According to Homer, Antenor advised the Trojans to give Helen back to her husband. He just wanted peace. In other versions, he was a traitor that opened the gates to the enemy. Some say he rebuilt the city on the site of Troy. Others say he founded Patavium, or what is now known as Padua. Uh, personally, I like the idea that he rebuilt the city on the foundation of Troy, which would be similar to the way Emerald was built on the foundation of Antonora. Huh? Uh, see what I did there? Clever, right? Right? No, okay, maybe not. Moving on, Dante and Virgil traverse the icy landscape to find they are actually on a frozen lake. This is Cocytus. 
I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce it, but I'm sticking with cositis. Sometimes I hear it pronounced cocytis. I spell it C-O-C-Y-T-U-S. I've seen it spelled with K's instead of C's, which would obviously be cocytis. But, uh, you know, sticking with cositis. Yeah, you're just, you're just gonna have to deal with my bad pronunciation of stuff. Anyways, the sinners here are frozen in place from the neck down. Dante sees two souls frozen together. He doesn't name them, but they are brothers Alessandro and Napoleon Dili Alberti. And if I got those names right, well, then I will hold for your applause. I probably didn't get them right, but if you applauded me, uh, thanks anyways, I appreciate it. Anyways, these two killed each other over an inheritance and differing political views. This would have been between 1282 and 1286. These two are placed together, their hair tangled and continuously bash their heads into one another. The tears flowing from their eyes freeze instantly. As Dante moves on, he accidentally kicks a soul in the head, and that spirit's all like, Hey, I'm frozen here! And then Dante, he's all like, Hey, I'm walking here! Well, actually, Dante apologizes. He even offers to take the dude's name and spread the word up top so he's not forgotten. This guy, however, does not care one iota about fame or acknowledgement, and instead insists on insulting our poet friend. Dante's had it up to here, and by here I mean up, up to my neck, I'm pointing to my neck, and it's done with this dude's dude. He bends down and demands this guy's name. This guy, he's all like, fuck off, and then Dante, he's all like, oh no you didn't. So he grabs the spirit by the hair and goes full Batman on him, all, Tell me your name, or so help me God. That was a little bit Nixon-y too, but you get the idea. So anyways, this sinner has absolutely zero ducks to give. And I mean zero. He's frozen in a lake at the bottom of hell. What does he have to lose? Nothing. So he refuses to relent. Dante rips out his hair. The sinner still refuses to say who he is. And finally, some other frozen sinner pipes up and says, Hey, he's Bocadalia Body. Now get lost, you mouth breather. I don't know why they all have that accent, but yeah, I'm going to stick with it. Okay, okay. Obviously, that mouth breather comment is more editorial on my part. If you want more info on our boy Boca here... I'll give you the basics. Boca was a nobleman from Florence, lived a long time ago, fought in some big battle somewhere, and is believed to have betrayed his own side. So, treachery to country. The sheer animosity here is not uncommon in the Inferno. After all, we've seen lots of sinners and lots of punishments. But it is a bit uncommon for Dante the Pilgrim to be the one doling out the punishment. Remember, at the beginning of this whole thing, he was sympathetic to a lot of the sinners. 
He wept openly, leaned on Virgil for guidance and strength, and even fainted from time to time. And here was even apologetic to Boca for accidentally kicking him, offering him fame and notoriety. He didn't get angry until Boca spurred him on. It's noteworthy, however, just how quickly that switch got flipped. All the while, I imagine Virgil standing behind him like Mr. Burns, rubbing his hands together, saying, Excellent. The punishment here, as usual, is fitting for their respective sins. The punishment is that the sinners were cold-hearted and disloyal. And since they were cold as ice, with nobody's body heat to serve as their paradise, they are frozen for all eternity. Like that package of hot dogs that sits in the bottom of your freezer from the day you moved into your new house to the day you moved out 35 years later. Only longer, because while 35 years might feel like an eternity, it's not. Anyways, brothers Napoleon and Alessandro who killed each other? Well, in life, they disrespected their close bond of brotherhood. So now they are doomed to be frozen together. With each other. For all eternity. That feels like a really spiteful punishment, doesn't it? But it's hell. So, you know... I guess uh, spite seems pretty fitting. And so the frozen lake of Cocytus represents the coldness and lack of emotion displayed by these treacherous traitors when they lived. I imagine if Dante's version of hell is what really lies in the darkness of death, this circle must be full of reality stars and a lot of, but not all, movie producers. Also, a little bit more about Cocytus before we leave the Inferno for this episode. In Dante's world, Cocytus is a giant frozen lake. In other works, it's also known as Cocytus. I mentioned that earlier. Remember? Spelled with K's. Anyways, in those other works, Cocytus, or Cocytus, whatever you want to call it, is a river in the underworld of Greek mythology that flows into Acheron. Acheron being the River of Woe. One of the five rivers in the Greek underworld. And of course, continuing down this rabbit hole, I will go ahead and list the other four rivers that surround Hades. We have Styx, Phlegathon, Leth, Acheron, and the previously mentioned Cocytus. Fun stuff, I know. Moving back into the world of darker days of Dorothy Gale, we get another stranger chapter. Not that it's stranger than any other chapter, but that it's a chapter about the stranger. I feel like you already understood that. So, moving on, there really isn't much to see here. I won't say this chapter is meaningless, and I'll explain why in a second. But it's not as impactful as the others. There's no big revelations, no major plot points. Some of the characters are throwaway characters and shallow. I can admit it, they're kind of shallow. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. So anyways, you're probably sitting there, Tyler, you said this chapter wasn't really meaningless, but you're telling us why it's so meaningless. Uh, just hold your horses there, buddy. 
I say it's not meaningless mainly because we've seen over the past few Stranger chapters that he is having an increasingly difficult time managing his following and keeping them all in line. This chapter really highlights just how little control he has anymore. A fight between two brothers breaks out in the encampment, and he has a really hard time breaking it up. He does manage to stop it, but only momentarily. He gives a small speech about how family is important, you're only guaranteed two things in life, one, that your family is family, and two, that forgiveness comes from a just and loving God, so long as you sincerely seek it, that is. The brothers aren't buying any of this, and once again he loses control of the situation. He has them bound together and thrown into a hole, just deep enough to prevent them from falling over. They freeze, and that's the story of Alessandro and his brother Alberti. Clear reference to the Inferno there. The story of this fight is actually based somewhat in reality for me. As some of you might know, by day I am a janitor at a school. And before I had a solid beat at a single school, I used to wander around between the 13 schools in the district, filling in for whatever janitor was sick, on vacation, or gone for this or that. Anyway, boring backstory aside, I was filling in at the high school one day when a fight broke out in the cafeteria between a couple of chumps, and supposedly it all started because one spilled a little bit of ranch on the other one. It was high school boys, so in reality it was probably deeply seated issues involving masculinity and whatever confusing things come with with boys that age, I'm guessing the one that threw the first punch was worried his penis was smaller than the other guy. Just saying. And that's pretty much it for that chapter. Let's do chapters 41 and 42 while we're at it. Chapter 41 and 42, Antonora Part 1 and Part 2, find us taking a look back on Oz, B-T-W. That's obviously before The Wizard. We see the city of Antonora being ruled by Lothor, Ozma, and her sisters. Remember, it wasn't Emerald until after the wizard took control of everything. Same city, or at least same location, different name. Anyway, we bear witness to the ousting of Ugolio, the leader of the Empire's army. He is exiled and takes refuge in the bottom of the canyon outside the city. Well into his exile, he is met by Joseph Smith. Yes, that Joseph Smith. Ugolio tells Joseph there's no need to go to the city of Antonora because there's nothing but lies and shame. Betrayal of the worst kind. He tells Joseph about the city and how Lothor and his stepchildren would likely not be of any help to him. He admits that Gracia would probably be willing, but would be unable, due to the fact that she doesn't have the same witchy powers as her sisters. Joseph is intrigued and insists that Ugolio could be of service to him. He drags Ugolio into the city 
and asks to have him delivered to whoever is in charge. There they are met by Gracia, who takes both of them in and gives them a good meal. She tells Ugolio that she is going to grant him a full pardon, and that her sisters will not fight her on this. Pardoned in taking his leave of the city, he has one last conversation with Joseph. The two thank each other, and it's revealed that everything they have been through since arriving in Antonora has been one giant charade. It was all just a ruse, a way to get Joseph into the palace so he could meet Gracia and sow the seeds of discord. The name of the city, Antonora, is taken directly from Dante's Inferno. The story of Ugolio actually has a little bit more to do with the upcoming canto, so come back for the next aftermath for the rest of his story. And believe me, it's, uh, it's grisly, to say the least. So, with all that said... If I missed something or failed to address something you feel I should have, or if I goofed on my summary of Dante's Inferno, which is always a possibility, let me know, and I will fix it. Because i that's, that's just what I do. I'm here to please. I aim to please. Anyways, I'm always open to questions, comments, or... Constructive criticism. You don't have to like the show. Not sure why you're listening, though, if you don't. But like it or not, you can be nice. I know you can. I believe in you. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can do that by emailing darkdaysofdorothygale at outlook.com. There is no more Twitter profile, or X, I guess, for this guy, but you can find me on the old TikTok, where it's at DarkDorothyG. Alternately, I appear on TikTok, Instagram, and that silly threads thing under the identity of at the ordinary sun. That's S-U-N. The Instagram feed actually does have a lot of fun Dark Days-themed artwork, and so does the TikTok feed, so if you're interested, you know how to get there. And of course, if social media isn't your jam, there's always the official Dark Days website, ddofdg.com. You can also find links to t-shirts and stickers and stuff there as well. Also, I've compiled a list of all my favorite Dante's Inferno resources. It's got links and brief summaries and reviews of each place, so check that out on the website as well. Darker Days of Dorothy Gale used to be on Amazon as an ebook and even in paperback form. But at the time of this recording, the podcast is the only way to experience it. If you would like to support the show, buying a t-shirt or a sticker or something really is the coolest way to go about it. And if you want to support my specific brand of creativity in a more direct and financial way, you can always find me at buymeacoffee.com slash ordinarysun. Again, that's S-U-N. If you do, I will send you a personal handwritten thank you note, complete with a fun little sketch. 
I'll even give you a shout-out on this year's show if any you like. And if you don't want to donate to this cause, that is fine as well. Times be tough, they be, and I'm happy to do this either way. So come back next time for chapters 43 and 44. Ptolemaea, part 1 and 2. Thanks for listening. I love you all.